Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 79, Taboo Trade-Offs, Part 1 Hermione Granger, you are under arrest for the attempted murder of Draco Malfoy. The words dropped into Harry's consciousness and shattered his thoughts into a hundred shards of incredulity, the shock of adrenaline running into so much confusion that... She... she... she wouldn't... what? The Aurors weren't paying any attention to him. Komodo spoke again, still in that colorless voice. Mr. Malfoy has regained consciousness in St. Mungo's and named you, Hermione Granger, as his assaulter. He has repeated these accusations under two drops of Veritaserum. The blood-cooling charm you cast upon Mr. Malfoy would have killed him if he had not been found and treated, and it must be presumed known to you that this was a fatal curse. I therefore arrest you upon the serious charge of attempted murder, and you will be taken into ministry custody to be interrogated under three drops of Veritaserum. Are you mad?! The words burst out of Harry's mouth as he shoved himself up from the Ravenclaw table an instant before Ourobutnaru's hand clamped down hard upon his shoulder. Harry ignored it. That's Hermione Granger you're trying to arrest! The nicest girl in Ravenclaw! She helps Hufflepuffs with their homework! She'd die before she tried to kill anyone! Hermione Granger's face had crumpled. I did it. She whispered in a tiny voice. It was me. Another huge rock fell on Harry's thoughts and crushed their fragile order, bursting fragments of comprehension into dust. Dumbledore's face seemed to have aged decades over the course of seconds. Why, Miss Granger? Why would you do such a thing? I'm... I'm sorry. I don't know why... She seemed to collapse in on herself. Her voice was formed of nothing but sobs, and the only words that could be made out were... I thought... killed him. Sorry. And Harry should have said something, should have done something, should have jumped up out of his seat and stunned all three Aurors, and then gone on to some incredibly clever next move, but the twice-shattered fragments of his thought process could yield no output. Butnaru's hand pushed Harry gently but firmly back into a seat, and Harry found himself stuck there like he'd been glued. He tried to grab his wand for a finite, but it wouldn't come out of his pocket. The three Aurors and Dumbledore escorted Hermione out of the Great Hall amid a rising storm of outcries, and the doors began to swing shut behind them. Nothing made sense. It was surreal beyond all reckoning, like he'd been transported into an alternate universe, and then Harry's mind flashed back to another day of confusion and in a moment of desperate inspiration, he finally realized what the Weasley twins had done to Rita Skeeter, and his voice rose in a scream. Hermione, you didn't do it! You've been false memory charmed! But the doors had already shut. Minerva couldn't possibly have stood still. She paced back and forth through the headmaster's office, the back of her mind half expecting Severus or Harry to tell her to shut up and sit down. But neither the potions master or the boy who lived seemed much concerned with her, both of their gazes focused on Albus Dumbledore where he had emerged from the flu. 
There were sounds in the background that nobody heard. Severus seemed as passionless as ever, sitting in a small cushioned chair beside the headmaster's desk. The old wizard stood terrible and upright by the still-burning fireplace, robed in black like a starless night, radiating power and dismay. All her own thoughts were of utter confusion and horror. Harry Potter sat on a wooden stool with his fingers gripping the seat, and his eyes were fury and freezing ice. At 6.33 a.m., Quirinus Quirrell had flewed St. Mungo's from his office for immediate pickup of Draco Malfoy. Professor Quirrell had found Mr. Malfoy in the trophy room of Hogwarts, on the verge of death from the continuing effects of the blood-cooling charm slowly lowering his body temperature. Professor Quirrell had immediately dispelled the charm, cast stabilizing spells on Mr. Malfoy, and levitated him to his office to flew him to St. Mungo's for further treatment. After this, Professor Quirrell had informed the headmaster, stating the facts briefly before vanishing through the flu. The Aurors, notified by St. Mungo's, had demanded his presence for questioning. The clear intent of the blood-cooling charm had been to kill Draco Malfoy so slowly that the wards of Hogwarts, set to detect sudden injury, would not trigger. Under interrogation, Professor Quirrell had told the Aurors that he had cast several tracking charms upon Mr. Malfoy's person in January, shortly after Mr. Malfoy's return to Hogwarts from Yuletime break. Professor Quirrell had cast tracking charms because he had learned of a person with a motive to harm Mr. Malfoy. Professor Quirrell had refused to identify this person. The tracking charms which Professor Quirrell had cast were triggered by Mr. Malfoy's health falling below an absolute level rather than by sudden changes, and had therefore alerted Professor Quirrell before Mr. Malfoy had died. Two drops of Veritaserum, sufficient to prevent Mr. Malfoy from withholding any ameliorating or moderating information in his statements, had shown that Mr. Malfoy had, legally under the laws of noble houses, illegally under the regulations of Hogwarts, challenged Hermione Granger to a duel. Mr. Malfoy had won the duel, but had then, as he left, been attacked from behind by Miss Granger with a stunning hex. After this, Mr. Malfoy knew nothing. Three drops of Veritaserum, requiring her to volunteer all relevant information, had caused Hermione Granger to confess that she had stunned Draco Malfoy from behind, and then, in a fit of anger, cast the blood-cooling charm on him with the deliberate intention of killing him slowly enough to evade identification from the Hogwarts wards, whose workings she had read about in Hogwarts A History. She had been horrified at herself upon awakening the next morning, but had not told anyone of what she'd done, believing Draco Malfoy to be already dead. As he certainly would have been after seven hours had his body's own magic not been resisting the effects of the blood-cooling charm. Her trial is set for tomorrow at noon. What? The word burst out of Harry Potter. The boy who lived didn't rise from his chair, but Minerva saw his fingers whiten where they gripped the wooden seat beneath him. That's insane! You can't do a police investigation in one day! The potions master raised his voice. This is not Muggle Britain, Mr. Potter. Severus's face was as expressionless as ever, but the bite in his voice was sharp. The Aurors have an accusation under Veritaserum and a confession under Veritaserum. So far as they are concerned, the investigation is done. Not quite said Dumbledore, just as Harry seemed ready to explode. I have insisted to Amelia that this matter be given the utmost scrutiny. 
Unfortunately, as the ill-fated duel was at midnight... Supposed duel? As the supposed duel was at midnight... Yes, you're quite right, Harry. It is beyond the range of any time-turner. Also supposedly, and rather suspiciously, since the alleged murder suspect doesn't know about time-turners. I hope that an invisible aura was immediately sent back in time as far as possible to observe... Dumbledore inclined his head. I went myself, Harry, the moment I heard. But by the time I reached the trophy room, Mr. Malfoy was already unconscious and Miss Granger had gone. No, you reached the trophy room and saw Draco unconscious. That is all you observed, Headmaster. You did not observe Hermione there or watch her leave. Let us distinguish observation from inference. The boys had turned to look at her. Imperious, Obliviation, False Memory Charm, Legilimency... Professor McGonagall, am I leaving out any mind-affecting spells that could have made Hermione do this, or make her believe she'd done it? The Confundus Charm, she said. And the Dark Arts had never been her study, but she knew... And certain dark rituals, but none of those could be performed in Hogwarts without alarm. The boy nodded, his eyes still directly addressing her. Which of those spells can be detected? Which would the Aurors try to detect? The Confundus Charm would wear off in a few hours, she said, after a moment to gather her thoughts. Obliviation cannot be detected by any known means, but only a professor could have cast that spell upon a student without alarm from the Hogwarts wards. Legilimency can only be detected by another Legilimens, I think. I requested that Miss Granger be examined by the court Legilimens. The examination showed... Do we trust him? Her... Sophie McJorgensen, whom I remember as an honest student of Ravenclaw, and she is bound by the unbreakable vow to tell the truth of what she sees. Could someone else be polyjuiced as her? What did you observe, Headmaster? A person who looked like Madame McJorgensen told us that a single legilimens had lightly touched Miss Granger's mind some months ago. That is from January, Harry, when I communicated with Miss Granger about the matter of a certain Dementor. That was expected. But what I did not expect was the rest of what Sophie found. The old wizard turned to gaze into the flue fire, letting the orange flames reflect on his face. As you say, Harry, a false memory charm is one possibility. They are, when cast perfectly indistinguishable from a true memory. That doesn't surprise me. Studies show that human memories are more or less rewritten every time we remember them. Harry? Minerva said softly, and the boy's mouth clamped shut. The old wizard continued. But a false memory charm of such quality requires as much time to create as a true memory. Creating a detailed memory of ten minutes would be ten minutes' work. And according to the court legilimens... Albus's face now seemed more tired and lined than before. Miss Granger has been obsessing over Mr. Malfoy since the day that Severus yelled at her. She has been thinking of how Mr. Malfoy might be in league with Professor Snape, how he might be planning to harm her and harm Harry, imagining it for hours every day. It would be impossible to create false memories for so much time. The appearance of insanity, 
Severus murmured softly, as though he were speaking to himself. Could it be natural? No, it is too disastrous to be pure accident. Too convenient for someone, I have no doubt. A muggle drug, perhaps? But that would not be enough. Miss Granger's madness would have to be guided. Ah, I get it now. The first false memory charm was cast on Hermione after Professor Snape yelled at her, and showed, say, Draco and Professor Snape plotting to kill her. Then last night, that false memory was removed by obliviation, leaving behind the memories of her obsessing about Draco for no apparent reason. At the same time, she and Draco were given false memories of the duel. Minerva blinked in startlement. It would have been a thousand years before she thought of that possibility. The potions master was frowning thoughtfully, eyes intent. The reaction to a false memory charm is hard to predict in advance, Mr. Potter, without legitimacy. The subjects do not always act as expected when they first remember the false memories. It would have been a risky ploy, but I suppose that is one way Professor Quirrell could have done it. Professor Quirrell? What motive does he have to... The defense professor is always a suspect, Mr. Potter. You will notice a trend given time. Albus raised up a hand, a silencing gesture, and their heads all turned to look at him. But in this case, there is another suspect. Voldemort. That deadliest of unspeakable words seemed to echo around the room, cancelling all the heat from the orange flames of the fireplace. I do not know. I know all too little of the methods of Voldemort's immortality. He searched out those books before I did, I think. All I could find were ancient tales scattered across too many volumes for him to remove. But to find truth among so many stories is also a wizard's mastery, and this I have endeavored to do. There is a human sacrifice, a murder, of that I am certain, committed in coldest blood, the victim dying in horror and old, old tales of wizards possessed, doing mad deeds, claiming the names of dark lords thought defeated, and there is usually a device of that dark lord which they wield. Albus looked at Harry, the ancient eyes searching the younger. I think, Harry, though you would call it only inference, that the act of murder splits the soul, that by ritual of blackest horror... The torn fragment of soul is chained to this world, to a material thing of this world, which must be, or which then becomes, a device of power. Horcrux. The terrible name echoed in Minerva's mind, though it seemed that, for what reason she did not know, Albus would not speak that word in front of Harry. And therefore... The remainder of the soul is bound to its chained part, lingering here when its body is destroyed. A sad and painful existence, I think it would be. Less than spirit, less than the meanest ghost. The old wizard's eyes were locked on Harry, who gazed back with his eyes narrowed. It would take time for that mutilated soul to regain a mockery of life. That is why we have had our ten-year reprieve, I believe. Why Voldemort did not return at once. But in time, 
that revenant would become capable of rising again. It is clear from these stories that the dark lords who return by possessing another's form wield lesser magics than they once knew. I do not think Voldemort would be satisfied with that. He would take some other avenue to life. But Voldemort was more Slytherin than Salazar, grasping at every opportunity. He would use his pitiful state, use his power of possession, if he had reason, if he could benefit by another's inexplicable fury. That is what I suspect happened to Miss Granger. Minerva's throat was very dry. He's here. Here? In Hogwarts? Then she stopped, because the reason Voldemort had come to Hogwarts... The old wizard glanced at her only briefly, and said, still in that whisper, I am sorry, Minerva. You were right. Harry's voice was edged. Right about what? Voldemort's strongest avenue to life. The most desirable road for him, by which he would rise greater and more terrible than ever before. It is guarded here, within this castle. Excuse me, are you stupid? Harry? She said, but there was no force in her voice. I mean, maybe you haven't noticed this, Headmaster Dumbledore? But this castle is full of children! I had no choice! The blue eyes were blazing now, beneath the half-moon spectacles. I do not own it, that thing which Voldemort desires. It belongs to another, and is held here by his consent. I asked if it could be kept in the Department of Mysteries, but he would not permit that. He said it must be within the walls of Hogwarts, in the place of the Founder's protection. Dumbledore passed his hand across his forehead. No, I cannot pass this blame to him. He is right. There is too much power in that thing, too much that men desire. I agreed that the trap should be laid behind the walls of Hogwarts, in the place of my own power. The old wizard bowed his head. I knew Voldemort would worm his way here somehow and planned to trap him. I did not dream that he would tarry in an enemy fortress one minute longer than he must. But what would the Dark Lord possibly gain by killing Lucius's only heir? Point of order! The motives of whoever's behind this are not the primary issue. Our top priority at this point is that an innocent Hogwarts student is in trouble! The green eyes locked with the blue as Albus Dumbledore gazed back at the boy who lived. Quite right, Mr. Potter, Minerva said. She hadn't even thought about it. The words just seemed to pop out of her lips. Albus, who is watching over Miss Granger now? Professor Flitwick has gone to her. She needs a lawyer. Anyone who just blurts out, I did it, to the police. Unfortunately... Minerva said, her voice taking on some of Professor McGonagall's sternness without thinking. I doubt a lawyer will be any use to Miss Granger at this point, Mr. Potter. She is to face the judgment of the Wizengamot, and they would be exceedingly unlikely to free her on a technicality. Harry was looking at her with an utterly incredulous expression, 
as though suggesting that Hermione Granger didn't need an attorney was akin to suggesting that she be set on fire. She is correct, Mr. Potter. Few court processes in this country involve lawyers. Harry lifted his glasses and rubbed his eyes briefly. Fine. How do we get Hermione off the hook, exactly? I suppose it's too much to hope that with all the lawyers gone, the judges understand the concept of common sense and prior probability well enough to realize that 12-year-old girls basically never commit cold-blooded murders? It is the Wizengamot that she faces, the oldest noble houses and certain other wizards of influence. Severus's face twisted in something approaching his customary sarcasm. As for them showing common sense, you might as well expect them to make you a bacon sandwich, Mr. Potter. Harry nodded, his mouth set. Exactly what sort of penalty is Hermione facing? Snapped wand and expulsion? Are you willingly misunderstanding, Potter? She is facing the Wizengamot. There is no set penalty. There is only the vote. Harry Potter murmured. The rule of law in complex times has proved itself deficient. We much prefer the rule of men. It's vastly more efficient. There's no constraining legal rules at all, then? Light glinted off the old wizard's half-moon glasses. He spoke carefully and not without anger. Legally, Harry, we are dealing with a blood debt from Hermione Granger to the house of Malfoy. The lord of Malfoy proposes a repayment of that debt, and then the Wizengamot votes on his proposal. That is all. But Lucius was sorted into Slytherin. He's got to realize that Hermione was just a pawn, not the one he should actually be angry at. Right? No, Harry. That is how you wish Lucius Malfoy would think. Lucius Malfoy himself will not share your desire that he think that way. Harry gazed at the headmaster, his eyes growing colder at the same time that Minerva herself had to clamp down harder on her own emotions, stop her pacing, and try to breathe. She'd been trying not to think about it, trying to turn her thoughts away from it, but she knew. She'd known since the instant she'd heard. She could see it in Albus's eyes. Is she facing capital punishment? And chills went all the way down Minerva's spine at the undertones of that voice. No! No, not the kiss, not Azkaban, not for a first year in Hogwarts. Our country is not so lost, not yet. But Lucius Malfoy certainly will not be satisfied with only snapping her wand. All right, as I see it, we've got two essential lines of attack. Line one, find the real culprit. Line two, other leverage over Lucius. Professor Quirrell saved Draco's life. Does that create a blood debt from House Malfoy to him that he could redeem to cancel Hermione's? Minerva blinked in startlement again. No. The old wizard shook his head. It was a clever thought, but no, Harry, I am afraid not. Even in the unlikely event that our defense professor reveals himself to be of a noble house, there is an exception when the Wizengamot suspects that the life debt may have been created deliberately. For that very purpose. And the defense professor is hardly above suspicion. Thus, Lucius would argue. Harry nodded once, face set. So a commoner can have a blood debt to a noble house, but not vice versa. 
Somehow, I'm not surprised. But House Potter does count as a noble house, from what I've heard. Headmaster, I know I said I wouldn't, but under the circumstances... That time Draco cast that torture hex on me, is that dead enough? No, said the old wizard, even as she blurted, What? And Severus lifted an eyebrow. It would not have been enough, and now it is no debt at all. You are an Occlumens and cannot testify under Veritasirum. Draco Malfoy could be obliviated of his own memory before he could testify. Albus hesitated. Harry, whatever you have done with Draco, you must assume that Lucius Malfoy will soon know of it. Harry's head sunk into his hands. He'll give Draco Veritaserum. Yes. The boy who lived didn't say anything as he sat with his head in his hands. The potions master looked genuinely shocked. Draco really was trying to help Miss Granger. You, Potter, you actually... Turned him? I was about three quarters done. Taught him the Patronus charm and everything. I don't know what'll happen now, though. Voldemort has struck a grave blow against us today. The sound of the old wizard's voice was like the look of the boy with his head in his hands. He has taken two of our pieces with one. No, I should have seen it earlier. He has taken two of Harry's pieces with one move. Voldemort has begun his game again, not against myself, but against Harry. Voldemort knows the prophecy. He knows who his last foe shall be. He is not waiting to face Hermione Granger and Draco Malfoy at Harry's side when they are grown. He is striking at them now. Maybe it's you-know-who, and maybe it isn't. Let's not narrow down the hypothesis space prematurely. Harry took a breath and lowered his hands. The other thing we can try is to nail the real culprit before the trial, or at least find solid evidence that someone else did it. Mr. Potter, Professor Quirrell told the Aurors that he knew of someone with a motive to harm Mr. Malfoy. Do you know who he was talking about? Yes... But I think I shall conduct that part of my investigation with the defense professor, just as I would not have Professor Quirrell in the room while we were discussing how to investigate him. He suspects me? Sever said, then gave a short laugh. Why, of course he does. My own plan is to go look at the trophy room where the supposed duel took place and see if I can discover anything anomalous. If you can tell the investigating orrors to let me through... What investigating orrors? Harry Potter took a deep breath, slowly let it out, and then spoke again. In mystery books, it usually takes longer than one day to solve a crime, but 24 hours is... No, 30 hours is 1,800 minutes, and I can think of at least one important place to look for clues, though it'll have to be someone who can get into the Ravenclaw girl's dorm. Back when Hermione was fighting bullies, she was finding notes under her pillow each morning, telling her where to go. Albus? I did not send them. The old wizard's white eyebrows had lifted in surprise. I knew nothing of this. You think she was being played, Harry? It's a possibility. More so because there's a part of this puzzle that you don't know about yet. Headmaster, you already know that I got my father's invisibility cloak from someone who left a note under my pillow, saying it was an early Christmas present. I think we have to assume that's the same person who left notes for Hermione. Harry, 
the old wizard said, and hesitated momentarily. Returning your father's cloak to you does not seem to me like the act of a villain. Listen! The part you don't know is that after Bellatrix Black escaped from Azkaban, I found another note under my pillow, signed Santa Claus, saying that they'd heard you were shutting me up inside Hogwarts and that they were giving me an escape route to the Salem Witches Institute in America. That note came with a deck of cards in which the King of Hearts was supposedly a portkey. Mr. Potter! cried Professor McGonagall. She hadn't even thought before she spoke. This could well be a kidnapping attempt. You should have told. Yes, Professor, I did the sensible thing. As adapted to the circumstances, I did the sensible thing. I told Professor Quirrell. And according to Professor Quirrell, that portkey goes to somewhere in London. It's definitely not strong enough to be an international portkey. Now, it's possible that the person who sent the note is honest and that the point in London is just a way station. The boy reached into his robes and took out a deck of cards, along with a folded paper note. I will trust you not to go in guns blazing. I mean wands blazing. Just in case the sender is an ally of mine, if not yours. But if this is a trap, I say we spring it now. And whoever it is, take them alive so we can exhibit them before the wizengomet. I cannot overemphasize that part. Severus rose from his chair, his eyes now intent, and moved toward Harry. I'll need a head of yours for polyjuice, Mr. Potter. Let us not be hasty. We have not yet examined the notes sent to Miss Granger. There may be no resemblance after all. Severus, would you enter her dorm room and see if you can find those? Harry Potter's eyebrows had raised, even as he stood, to offer the potions master better access to his mess of hair. You think two different people are running around Hogwarts, leaving notes beneath pillows? Severus gave a brief sardonic laugh as his hand moved forward and plucked a hair, which soon was being carefully wrapped in silk. Quite possibly. If I have learned anything in my tenure as head of Slytherin, I have learned what ridiculous messes arise when there is more than one plotter and more than one plan. But, Headmaster, I think Mr. Potter is correct that I should follow this portkey and see where it leads. Albus hesitated and then nodded reluctantly. I will speak to you before you go, then. End first half of chapter 79. Thank you to the following people. Minerva McGonagall, read by Autumn Rachel Dryden. Severus Snape by Brian Jones. Dumbledore, Drake Walker. Hermione Granger, Anonymous. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit LessWrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening and come back next week for the second half of Chapter 79, Taboo Tradeoffs, Part 1. <laughs>